Hello, all you aspiring soulful piano players, and welcome to episode 18 of A Bookish Affair, where we two Shannons will be your fellow travelers through the world of happily ever after. I'm Shannon, she's Shandy, and we love romance. We're the co-founders of the Lake Oswego Public Library's Romance Book Club, A Bookish Affair. We read and discuss diverse, inclusive love stories every second Sunday of the month, at the library when it's open and on WebEx for the foreseeable future. If you're interested in joining this virtual discussion group, if you have feedback for us, suggestions for the club or podcast, you wanna lay a punny romance title on us, or you just wanna say, hey, check the show notes for our emails and the link to our Bookish Affair page on LOPL.org. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the ancestral, traditional, and unceded territory of the Kalapuya, Cowlitz, and Clackamas peoples on which we live, work, and record this podcast. Thank you. So Shandy, while I'm stuck at home, you've gone on a little adventure. Where are you right now? <laughs> well, I am once again recording from the other side of the Oregon-California border. Uh, greetings from Evie's beautiful home, which is just a five-minute walk from Golden Gate Park. So Ah, it's, wow, it's, it's just delightful. Um, we're, I'm here with Claire. Uh, we are seriously considering going on the paddle boats in the lake in Golden Gate Park. Yesterday, we walked to a very fine establishment called Donut World. Uh, we were daydreaming about riding the cable cars, which is one of Claire's and my very favorite things to do in the entire world. But uh, I did my research and it turns out they actually won't be reopening the cable cars until there's a vaccine. You know, which makes sense. I was thinking, okay, well, it's out, you know, there's a lot of outdoor seating on the on the cable cars. It's probably fairly low risk for passengers. But what I wasn't thinking of was how the operators would be quite, would be at quite a bit more risk given the sort of close quarters. So, you know, one more thing to dream about for a post-pandemic world. Yeah, makes sense. Some bummer about the cable cars. But going back, Donut World, please tell us more. <laughs> Let me just say that we were like, oh, let's get a dozen. We'll be here for a week. And that was for it was about 24 hours ago. And there's one donut remaining. So. <laughs> uh, anyway, that gives you that gives you an idea of what kind of what kind of trip this is. <laughs> Yum. A good yeah. trip is what it is. A delicious oh, I trip. And I hate, oh, I hate to talk about gluten, gluten-full baked goods in front of you. It seems very unfair, but you know. I'm also I'm rewatching the Great British Bake Off, so I don't know. I might be a masochist, <laughs> and maybe maybe it's just giving me dreams, you know. Dreams. <laughs> oh, anyway, all right. Well, setting aside gluten for for at least a moment, what are we chatting about today, Shannon? Well, I think a couple things. Um, but last week, the first thing um, we started talking about our past reading challenges, which includes the Decades series, you know, A Journey of African-American Romance. Um, we brought this up back in the spring, I think. It was, a, when was it? Um, <laughs> so long ago. But so we, long we decided ago. that we wanted to read um, this series. Uh, we started with book one, A Delicate Affair, and you know, we read A Secret Desire. Then um, we uh, just finished, both of us just finished Love's Serenade. And we're moving on to book four, The Art of Love. I just started The Art of Love last night. Do you have it yet? 
No, um, it's not available through the library systems. Um, so I'm trying to decide if I want to purchase the print book or the ebook, you know, very heavy decisions. This is probably why I'm watching Great British Bake Off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so we, we wanted to touch base on this challenge and, and also talk about, um, you know, book three, Love Serenade. Yeah, which both of us really loved. And I will say like, this is, you know, this is not the easiest challenge in terms of access because most, if not all of these books are not available through either of our local library systems. Um, right. Some of the, I'm guessing some of them may not have even been released as print books. Um, uh -huh. I, I think there are a couple that are, that are eBooks only. So, so again, you have that issue of access that we kind of talked about last week. You know, it's, it, it, it can be hard to read those authors who are published sort of outside of traditional publishing because um, because you often have to you often have to sort of seek them out and purchase them so oh you know a, a question for another day for sure but um but yeah I mean I hear you like, like you have to if you want to participate in this challenge you have to purchase the next book and you know that's that that's not always going to be easy or possible for everyone so all right, so let's talk. Let's talk about Love Serenade, which is the book that um, takes place in the decade of the 1930s. And there are there are 12 books, and they take place over the decades between 1900 and 2010. Um, so the sort of it covers the first decade, the the entire 20th century, and then it also covers the first decade of the of the aughts. Um, so anyway, Love Serenade. Um, I'm pretty sure it's not quite as fresh in my mind as it imagine it is in yours. But I do remember really liking it. Um, our protagonists are Lee Jones, who is a uh, who is a very talented musician and singer. She has fled the prospect of an unwanted marriage in her hometown, and she's found success and happiness as a nightclub singer in Harlem. And everything's going really well. She's just gotten an opportunity to be a headliner at her friend's club, and then Miles Cooper shows up, and he he is the man who helped her escape from that, you know, that, that potential stifling marriage in her small town. And then he just walked out on her, breaking her heart. And she doesn't really know why. So she has vowed never to trust him again. Of course he had his reasons, but you know, she's, she's hurting and she's vowed never to trust him again, but you know, they make such beautiful music together. I mean, literally <laughs> he's a piano player and he writes songs and she sings them, and, you know, so, so how can he win Lee's trust and, Will they be able to find the love and also the the sort of professional success that they've always both dreamed of? Um, and that's something that's something I really loved about this book was how vivid the aspect of of them, you know, um, it, it making their way in the music world. I, I love the scenes where they're 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 singing and playing together and working on songs together and collaborating and and then. The best part in the book, in my opinion, is the excitement that they both feel when they get a shot at a recording contract. It's just so wonderful and heartwarming. And that that sort of artistic and professional triumph actually almost overshadowed, you know, the romantic triumph of them getting together in the end for me. Um, I, I don't know. I kind of felt similarly about uh, Alexis Daria's Take the Lead, which you read recently. Mm -hmm. um, I remember what really stuck out to me about that book. And of course I was happy with the heroine and, and, and the heroine, excuse me, the heroine and the hero when they got together. 
But the best part was the heroine getting her shot at her dream role in a Broadway show. Like that was just, that was such a magical moment in the book. I guess it sounds a little counterintuitive. Like, aren't we here for the love story and everything else is just details, but but I really think that it's those details that make you fall for the characters themselves, you know, see them as real people and want the best for them in all aspects of their lives. So that was a bit of a ramble, but, uh, but what did you think about Love Serenade? Um, I loved it. Um, this, it was so sweet. It was so satisfying. It was so beautiful, really tender. And yeah, and the music, I totally agree with you. Um, there's was almost this like palpable dynamic when they played together and sang together and and you just were rooting for them. I just I I loved it. I really did. And and I agree with you. Those those details about each individual, you know, you really are rooting for them as these whole, you know, whole whole individuals. You know, you want the love story, absolutely. But it's like the the two people sort of navigating actualizing that love story with with also this like what's like the perfect expression of who this person is and that's that includes their dreams and then being successful you know but anyway uh love serenade yeah I just I just that was silly I just thought thought it was stunning like I really just felt so good when I finished it I loved it yeah me too that was that was all very well said exactly what I was exactly what I was trying to convey like the you know the the love story is about them you know when you find the right person you find the person who helps you who helps you become the best version of yourself yeah and and that was so clear on the page in this book with you know with with the things that they did and the the dreams that they built together Mm -hmm. um Man, oh, I don't know. It was so good. <laughs> and, and also that sort of rebuilding that trust too. Because they have to get to know each other in a different way. You know, and, and he has to navigate, okay, how can I help her to trust me again? Because you can't just say, hey, trust me. You yeah. know, you, you kind of have to like facil- help facilitate that, that, that building. And then she, you know, she gets to also break down her own walls. And so how do they do that together? There's almost this collaboration when you're building trust. And so when you're able to do that, you're able to help, you know, facilitate this whole person growth. Yeah, that's totally true. Like the, you know, the whole book, their their whole relationship is, I mean, there's the love song that they're writing together that they're getting the recording contract for, but the whole book is a love song that they're writing together. Yes. You know, talking about this book, even though I read it several months ago and I had forgotten, uh, I don't know, I'm just now remembering how much I liked it. I was like, I don't know, talking about it has me really excited to sort of keep moving along with the series. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to read the book from, you know, from that sort of interstitial period from the 70s, 80s, 90s, that's somewhere between the bounds of what's usually considered historical romance. And, you know, maybe this is just me, but I, but when I think of historical romance, the furthest I'm, I can really take my mind back and still have it be called a historical romance is maybe the sixties. You know, thinking about like Alyssa Cole's novella in the, um, 
uh, in the Juneteenth romance anthology. Uh, that one takes place in the 60s. And so, you, but you know, like then you get into the 70s and you're like, this is getting awfully close to the, the modern day. Um, so, you know, that, that sort of strange interstitial place between historical romance and the contemporary romances that just sort of, you know, take place in the now and that may not be, well, you know. Because we're contemporary with that time period, the 70s, yeah. 80s and 90s, you know, it's like we were like, you growing up, coming of age during these times. So it's it's actually really hard to sort of wrap my brain around the fact that that's now considered historical romance, even though it is in the past, there's history there, you know, but it's, it's contemporary with my own life. It's like when you grow up listening to the oldie station mm-hmm. and then <laughs> you come back to the oldie station as an adult and you're like, wait a minute, this song is from the 1980s. Like, wait, I remember Bon Jovi is on here. What happened? <laughs> What time warp am I living in right now? Yeah, totally. Look at that. ACDC is on the on the only station. (laughs) Oh well, I know Claire will be mad at me for saying this on the podcast, but some things like that really do make me feel aged. (laughs) But actually, Claire informed me and Evie yesterday that we will not be we cannot consider ourselves aged until we're eighty. So we've got like we got a lot of youth left to live and I'm going to fill it with romance novels and I I could even make an argument against that because I have met some 80 year olds who are way more um lively and more spry than I could ever hope to be so I don't know like maybe what what is age what is being aged like aged mean like when we give up I don't know we're definitely I mean don't get me wrong I'm definitely getting older feel it oh oh yeah well romance will keep us young yes yes that is true (laughs) so you know okay so speaking of the decade series and the 70s in fact um I was I was filling out my ballot the other day because we in in Oregon we vote by mail it's entirely absentee um and uh, my ballot came just before we were we were set to leave on this trip so I brought it with me to my dad's house in Medford and I wanted to get it done before I left the state. Um, so I started, you know, I'm filling it out and I'm looking at the endorsements from all the local newspapers and everything. And I started wondering, like they have a romance for almost every other holiday. Like is election day romance a thing? <laughs> like, wouldn't that be cool? So, so I start kind of noodling around on the internet and lo and behold, the first thing that comes up when you Google election day romance is actually the 1970s book from the decade series. Nice. <laughs> it's called Election Day. It's by a male author, Keith Thomas Walker. Um, and it is about um, it's about Leo, who's running for mayor uh, in his town, and Carlo, who's his campaign manager. And of course, they're drawn together, and there's a dramatic backdrop and such. So I'm pretty excited to get to that, although we obviously still have a few decades uh, to get through before... Um, uh, before before we get to there, and I don't want to rush this journey through the 20th century, but anyway, I, I, and there have to be other romances that sort of, you know, that take place at or adjacent to the polls, but I haven't found those specifically yet. We were texting about it, of course, and you pointed out that a lot of contemporary romances are set in the political arena, um, so I thought, so we thought it would be fun to, you know, highlight a few of those as we sort of count down to the election. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, politics makes for some juicy situations. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, so 
some titles that I thought right off the top of my head, don't know if they're necessarily about election day and they're not presidential necessarily, but um, Kennedy Ryan's Queen Move. I know you've talked about this, you've read it, um, this Faded Mates romance. And despite, despite your trepidation about Faded Mates, if I recall correctly, you really liked the, this one, is that correct? That Faded Mates thing aside, um, this, yeah, it was just one of the most interesting and gripping romances I read all summer. It was just, uh, the, the heroine is a, um, you know, she's, is she a campaign manager? She kind of, I don't know. Anyway, she, she's a person that you bring in when you really want to win your election. And so she, you know, she runs these super successful campaigns and she just knows, you know, she knows everybody and she, um, I don't know, she, she's just so sharp and she knows exactly how to navigate these situations, um, you know, in a way that, that you just, you're reading about it and you think, oh my gosh, I would just fall to pieces if that were my job. But, <laughs> but also, you know, and what that's really paired with is that she doesn't, she does not work for a candidate unless she believes that that candidate is really going to improve the lives of, of the citizenry. So, so, you know, it's, it's backed up by a real, um, a real commitment to, uh, to, to, you know, a, a, a more perfect union, if you will. So that, yeah, that's a great book. I highly recommend it. You would, you would really like it. Very cool. I need to look for that one. And, 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 and sort of, you know, researching for this episode, um, Kennedy Ryan does actually have quite a number of uh, political romances. So she's definitely um, an author that came up time and again, uh, looking for, you know, this specific um, genre within, you know, romance. Another book that I thought of off the top of my head was Party of Two, uh, the latest from Jasmine Gilroy. Uh, the hero is a state senator. And I read this at the end of summer. And I just, I just think that, you know, Gilroy's um, wedding date series just gets better and better with each book. And I really, really liked party of two. I thought it was really well done. And it, you know, um, uh, a lawyer meets a state senator and they try to have a relationship and it, it's kind of that sort of that private person um, dating someone who has a public life and what does that look like and, and sort of that, that navigation of that. Um, so I thought it was really well done. Um, the third book that I thought, that I thought of what is um, American Love Story by Adriana Herrera. One of the heroes is a political activist. Now I haven't read this one in her American Dreamers, but you have, is that right, Shandy? Yeah, that's actually um, embarrassingly enough for as much as I like Adriana Herrera's work, that's actually the only one in the Dreamers series that I've finished so far, but I, I did really like it. You've got your, you've got your activist, you know, Patrice is both an activist and a professor and he's kind of active on Twitter and he's, you know, getting, you know, weighing in on really important issues of the day, and he's getting the word out about, um, you know, these, the the sort of tension in the story is that uh, they're in Ithaca, New York, and um, and there's just been this rash of, of police officers pulling over uh, young, young men, um, uh, young men of color, and so the man that Patrice is in love with is, uh, 
it is also like he's the I think he's the assistant DA and so he there's this tension where you know he um you know he feels like he needs to address this too but he's going to go about it in a slightly different way than an activist would necessarily um and so they have to you know they, it, it's it's something that that is that is very important to both of them but the way they approach it they have to kind of um, figure out a way to, to make that work together, I guess. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's a great one. I loved it. Yeah. I, like I said, I haven't read it, but I'm, I'm trying to, I'm plugging through the American Dreamers series. So I imagine it's really good. Uh, the fourth book that I thought about, um, was our June, uh, book selection, Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. Um, not only do we have a British Royal, but we also have the son of the U S president, uh, this, I, if I recall correctly, our book discussion back in June really gave us some in, like some really interesting conversation pieces about politics, um, you know, the politics of being a, a, a royal, you know, a poli the politics of being, you know, the offspring of um, the U.S. president. It was also a unique book because while chances alternate points of views and voices, this one did not, which lends itself to a particular kind of pension we all agreed was extremely worthwhile and sort of um, also created that tension of that sort of political sphere as well. And okay, the last one that I thought of was When We Left Cuba by Chanel Clayton. The protagonist has a love affair with a powerful uh, politician. This is a historical romance, a really interesting novel about star-crossed lovers as well as the role of the U.S. in foreign politics and how it affects people, particularly those in the other countries. You know, in this case, it was Cuba. Um, so the, those are the ones that I thought off the top of my head that have some kind of political aspect to it that, you know, the politics aren't. Yes, it's kind of like a side care. It, it just what am I trying to say? Like it, the politics you couldn't separate the politics from, you know, the the drama and the and the romance of the of the book. So those those are the ones that I thought about. I like that list. I haven't read Chanel Clayton or embarrassingly Jasmine Guillory, so I really need to know that. <laughs> oh, so many books. I think you'd oh. really like Party of Two. Um I would say that Clayton almost feels like her her novels definitely feel a little more like crossover novels, like they're more like rom drums. Um, so those are those are like if you're trying to dip your your toes into some kind of romance, that would I would say that Chanel Clayton is is great for that. She's a nice um, crossover sort of borderline title. We're really going to have to talk about um, about crossovers one of these days. Oh, maybe hmm, maybe next week. I don't know. I just I have so many good crossover books in my head. Um, one of my favorite historical authors, Kate Quinn, really likes Janelle Clayton, so I always kind of think of them together. They're always like blurbing each other's books and such. Um, but yeah, I mean, wow, I really, uh, you know, if both you and Kate Quinn recommend an author, then you should probably just go ahead yeah. and read her. <laughs> I mean, goodness, like. The history of Cuba is really interesting and, and she really, she really brings it alive. So it's, so it's a very lush novel. 
Yeah, and I, I know next to nothing about the history of Cuba, so I would probably really learn some stuff if I read this book. All right, it's moving up on the TBR, creeping up the, creeping up the list. <laughs> okay, let's see. So I was trying to think of political romances that I've read. Um, I did mention this on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, it was part of my... Um, Part of my vacation reading bonanza, um, Forbidden Promises by Cynthia Williams. That very much takes place in the political milieu. Um, the, there's a, the series is called Jackson Falls, and it revolves around the Robidoux family, who's you know, they're very they're very wealthy, elite, fancy. They their their money comes from tobacco, and the first book touches on Byron Robidoux's Senate race. He's the he's the brother of the heroine from that first book. Um, so he's an important side character in Forbidden Promises. Um, Byron gets his own book in the next one, which is called Scandalous Secrets. And it is a secret baby ah. book. Um, <laughs> but only sort of, because as far as I can tell, he's not actually the father of the secret baby, but he's kind of mm, allowed people to believe that he's the father. I'm not, I'm not sure. It sounds, it sounds pretty scandalous. Anyway, secrets come to light. And of course, his political career is going to be threatened because that's what happens when secrets come to light. Um, I have a copy of this. I have an, an e uh, an e arc of this, but True Confessions. I actually haven't read it yet because political romances are not always my favorite, and I think it goes back to as we've discussed on this podcast many times before my lack of interest in elites of almost any sort. <laughs> You know, whether they're wealthy, powerful, wealthy and powerful, you know, CEOs, billionaires, uh, politicians, um, you know, heirs and heiresses, all those sorts of, I don't know, all those sorts of wealthy elite circles, mover and shaker kinds of people are kind of just kind of hard for me to relate to. I, I totally agree with you. I'm not so much into the business of politics, you know, the strategizing for reputation and gain. It's a level of wealth and status I don't really care that much about. But what I did enjoy, like when we left Cuba and Party of Two, were the love, you know, the love interests are these politicians, these senators. The authors did a really great job of creating situations and issues that were relatable, that weren't just about, you know, the the wealth and power or the the the, the politics you know, like really getting into the nitty gritty of the politics. You know, for example, in Party of Two, as I said before, the protagonist really struggles with her desire for privacy and anonymity while navigating a relationship with, you know, a strapping young senator whose life is quite public. You know, those are the kind of stories that I find really interesting. Yeah, that does sound really You're like, interesting. I'm still not sold. No, <laughs> no, I'm totally sold, actually. Um, I mean, especially especially on that one, like what happens when you're a regular person whose relationship suddenly has them in the public eye? And how does how does a relationship flourish when the world or at least some segment of the world right. is watching? Um, yeah. So I don't know. I guess I kind of like reading about where regu regular people intersect yep. with those worlds sometimes. Um there's another book from the Decade series, actually, that takes place in the world of politics. So who knew the Decade series would be such a goldmine for all of, these, all of these themes that we're interested in exploring? Um, the 2000s book is called Campaign for Her Heart, which I think is a very cute title. Um, that's by Patricia Sargent. 
And uh, this one sounds really cool. The heroine is a librarian and, you know, a community activist. She campaigned for Obama and, you know, he's, he's been reelected and she is, uh, she's, you know, she's ready to like take some time for herself. She's a very busy person, professional life, uh, activist life. And, you know, she's divorced. She has grown kids and she's just ready to like chill out for a while. But then one of the organizations she volunteers with asks her to run for state Senate against this incumbent Senator. So, you know, she agrees apparently and complicating matters, of course, because something has to complicate matters in a romance novel. Um, the opponent's handsome campaign manager, Noah. So, I don't know. I like the idea of this one. I'm speculating here. I haven't read it yet, but it doesn't sound like Gwen is traveling in those sort of elite glittering circles where, you know, people are brokering deals over cigars and decades old whiskey. You know, (laughs) she sounds like she sounds like a woman of the people, a a regular person who's trying to take on the establishment. And that does sound like something. And, and, you know, I'm really looking, I can't wait to read that. And I actually, I'm I'm like thrilled that um we're able to weave that reading that particular reading challenge the decade series with this conversation of political romances i just think that's so cool but you know i i want to say that i sort of have this impression that people who sort of do kind of get into politics for that like the ideal of making things better i imagine you know they do start in that you know on the ground in in these you know scenarios that are less than ideal and more makeshift than you know super polished and posh and stuff like that so i don't know maybe maybe it's the yeah maybe we don't always have the best we just don't know about these humble starts that's a that i think that's a really good point because you know i don't want to discount those people who are like you know, it would, it would never have occurred to them to go into politics until somebody asked them to, and then they realized they could make a difference. So, so yeah, it's not all, you know, smoking jackets. And <laughs> but that's awesome if it is. <laughs> yeah, just like, you know, they just issue a, issue a smoking know, jacket. It's like Godfather. <laughs> you know, I was... I was telling my mom on the phone the other night that I had to fill out my ballot before we left the state. And, you know, Claire was, Claire was bored because I wasn't talking to her and she got annoyed and she said, you know what, like, why do you have to do that? Can you let other people do that? And since I, you know, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm an accidental homeschool mom now. I just, I just took the opportunity to sort of like bust out with an impromptu civics lesson about how lucky we are in this country to have a say in who runs it. And that vo- voting is, you know, it's a huge responsibility, but it's also an enormous privilege. And I didn't even, you know, I didn't get into poll taxes or the Voting Rights Act or voter suppression because Claire had lost interest because she's six and she was wandering away by that point, which is totally the story of my homeschool. <laughs> uh, I, t- I appreciate that it can feel insufficient or insignificant or even pointless sometimes, you know, if not overwhelming, you know, like does our one vote count? you know, and, and I get why she sort of lost interest because I, I lost interest in my high school government class, but yeah, no, I agree with you. It's, it is this uh, privilege and a responsibility and, and the beauty of democracy that we can participate in decisions that affect the world around us. 
you know, it's, it, it can be a bit dense and dry, but I, wow. Like as I get older, I do really value the right to vote and, and feel that sense of privilege to participate. If any of you out there need a little bit of inspiration, I highly recommend watching the West Wing special. Um, we actually made Claire watch it with us last night and it really got us all fired up. Um, <laughs> we were just, oh, we were just having a blast. We were like, you know, we're eating dinner and then Evie and I look at each other and we're like, Claire, are you ready to watch your first episode of the West Wing? And of course, you know, she was annoyed at us all day because all we were talking about was the election. <laughs> like, let's watch some TV. Oh, it's going to be about the election. Anyway. <laughs> but um but I have to say that even you know even if you aren't already a West Wing fan and I know for example you Shannon have not yet watched the West Wing um it it, it was just it was a blast to watch it was beautifully produced and acted and it also included a ton of useful information in what would have been the commercial breaks when it was aired you know when the original episode was aired on network TV um you know like various people, Samuel L. Jackson and Lin-Manuel Miranda, Michelle Obama, and, um, you know, all these people, you know, being, you know, being inspirational, but also offering really useful information. Um, you know, most importantly, the most important thing I took away from that was that if there is stuff that you don't know about voting, if you're not sure if you're registered, if you haven't gotten your ballot yet, if you don't know whether you should be voting by mail or in person, if you want to volunteer to be a poll worker, you can go to vote.org. I will put this link in the show notes and it actually has all the information organized by state. They make it so easy. There's no excuse not to go and acquire that information. You know, you matter, your story matters, your voice matters. Wow. That is really good to know about vote.org. I actually, I just learned that. So thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Basically all we're saying is please vote, you know, now's the time. Please do it early. Whoever you're voting for, it's just a basic right, a civil responsibility that, you know, we shouldn't take for granted. So your vote, your vote counts. All right. So Shandy, moving on from, you know, politics and West Wing and us begging people to vote. What are you reading now? What's in your immediate queue? <laughs> well, okay, so I do have a couple of left, a couple left over from last week, because um, my what am I reading now was very long last week, and I just had to cut some of it on the fly because the episode was getting long. So I really did not want to miss out on mentioning Christina C. Jones, who is one of the queens of indie romance. Um, she was featured prominently in that Shondaland article that I talked about last week. Um, she has. So titles and bonus for me lots of them are novellas um i had read uh during my vacation reading bonanza i had read one of hers called me and somebody's son and i did like it um you know very charming funny um i liked it a lot but i read hints of spice last week and that really sold me on her work um it's got a single mom heroine uh sin bradley she, that's short for cinnamon um, she's just moved to a new town for a new job. She has an adorable baby daughter and her hilarious mom, like laugh out loud, funny mom character. Um, worth reading just for this character, honestly. Uh, so they've, you know, they've all moved to a new town together. And of course, she just happens to hire 
the handsomest landscaping guy on the planet, Landry Augustine, to do her yard. So they have this sort of like moment of instant attraction. And, you know, but Sin was not planning on finding love despite her mom's best efforts. Again, hilarious. <laughs> and she's also concerned about being judged for her former career as an exotic dancer. And, you know, to be very clear about this character, she does not have any regrets about this job, which she truly enjoyed. It allowed her to pay her mom's medical bills, put herself through grad school, but she knows not everybody is going to be so understanding. And in particular, the villain in this book is very much uh, not understanding. And I, I guess that was one quibble I had with the book is that the villain is pretty one dimensional. She's motivated by her sort of professional jealousy and personal dislike for Sin, but also by her unreciprocated interest in Landry. And that is not a favorite villain trope of mine, that sort of, you know, spurned woman or what, whatever. I would have loved to have understood more about that character, but, you know, there's also something kind of fun about a villain who's just bad all the way to the bone. And when we're talking about a novella of less than 100 pages, there's really only so much an author can do. Um, minor Shanjan, I love that the hero's name is Landry because that makes me think of one of my very most very, very most favorite characters from Friday Night Lights. Even though Landry from Friday Night Lights is the polar opposite of a devastatingly handsome ladies' man. <laughs> <laughs> like suavely sprinkles Creole French throughout his speech. Both Landry's, I will say, are great boyfriends. So, oh, anyway, Landry, Landry, Shanjin. Anyway, <clears throat> I love it. One click the next, which is called <laughs> A Dash of Heat is the next one in that series. And I am very excited to start that. Let's see. Um, oh, yeah. Also left over from last week. I read a really cute historical novella about a couple of youngins. They're 20. 19 and 20, maybe. They fall in love at the Pan American Expo in Buffalo, Buffalo New York in 1899. Um, the hero is a newsboy and a former strike leader, kind of at loose ends now that the strike is over. So uh, if Newsies, either the film or the stage musical, has owned your life and your brain at any point between 1992 and now, uh, In Buffalo With You by Megan Fuentes may just be your jam. I am not holding my breath on this, but I feel like if I play up the Newsies angle, I might even be able to get my dad to read this book. <laughs> um, short but sweet, very charming, and extremely low spice. It might not even make the pepper scale. Um, just like there's, there, I think there's one kiss at the very end. <laughs> it takes place in public, so it's very chaste. Anyway, really cute. And I think there's another, um, it's, it's the first in a series about books that, takes, that take place at world fairs, which I think is kind of a cute idea. Um, okay, one more. Um, I am gearing up for a holiday novella bonanza. And I just finished up Booked for Christmas by Lily Menon, uh, which is the pseudonym under which the YA author Sonia Menon writes adult romance. And you've probably heard of her YA romances, When Dimple Met Rishi, There's Something About Sweetie, there are a lot of other ones. Um, and they all have these cute titles that are sort of inspired by, uh, by, by film rom-coms. Um, I haven't actually read any of those and I really need to, but this book, uh, Books for Christmas was so cute. It's got, it's got en enemies to lovers, um, you know, a romance novelist and her most annoying critic and forced proximity. They're snowbound in a mountain cabin because that's Christmas. And there's even a Portland connection, which is kind of fun. The story takes place in a fictional small town 
called Starlet Grove, which I would really like to live in, I think. Um, it's not too far from Portland. I would say that the Portland rep is a little uneven. Like they name check Powell's and they, you know, sort of general mention of queer bars without naming any of them. And and they also name check Porque No Taqueria. And yes, that's what the sign says, but a real Portlander would just say Porque No. And am I quibbling? I'm absolutely quibbling. But <laughs> also pro tip, if you want real Portland cred, mention a bookstore that isn't Powell's. But again, Total quibbles, really like the book. Cute, fun, short, everything I like in a holiday room. I wonder, I feel like we need an off the beaten Portland hipster path romance, like the real Portland experience. What would be your Portland romance? Like, where would you take readers? <laughs> this is such a fun idea. Um, obviously, I would have one of my protagonists be the, the, uh, the owner of a gluten free oh, bakery in your you. honor. I love her already. <laughs> <laughs> we might just have to write this romance together. You can come up with the best gluten-free, best tasting gluten-free treats. And let's see. Okay. So what will the other protagonist do? I'm thinking like maybe a small independent bookstore owner. I would, I would probably model that on Wallace books. Um, so, you know, maybe the whole book sort of takes place in Selwood, which is one of those little, one of those little self-contained neighborhoods like Ballard in Seattle, where if you live and work there, you almost never need to leave the neighborhood. They've got great restaurants and, you know, plenty of grocery store options. And you just, like, you would hardly ever need to go anywhere else. So, you know, so I'd probably invent the protagonist's respective businesses, but then they would do all this Selwood stuff, like riding bikes at Oaks Bottom Nature Preserve and going roller skating at Oaks Park seeing a movie at the Moreland, having dinner at Oaks Bottom Pub. I really miss Oaks Bottom Pub and their tacos. Anyway, you get the idea. And because I am completely uncool, my Portland romance people would never go downtown. You know, let's be honest. <laughs> I think a lot of people who actually avoid downtown if they can help it. And besides, Selwood is the perfect location for a romance. You know, um, there are so many great spaces there to fall in love. Now, would this be an enemies to lovers? Like they're fighting over wanting to move into the same, you know, business space or like a mutual crush. Like they see, they saw each other at a small business owner's meeting and locked eyes. Like what's the trope for our neighborhood? Shannon Sadell with the tough questions. I'm really digging that instant attraction across, you know, a folding table of stale cookies and bad coffee at the small business association. <laughs> I mean, the heroine, because she's gluten-free, she obviously can't have any of those stale cookies. And so, I don't know, maybe the hero, like, offers her a Lara bar. Yes. <laughs> and I've never had a Lara bar, so you might have to advise me on the best flavor. I've never anyway, had a Lara she's bar either. So we're going to have to conduct a taste test. But that dress, that that gesture, though, like, swoon-worthy, who wouldn't, who wouldn't, like, you know, develop a crush? You know, he's, he's a cinnamon roll, but he's a cinnamon roll made with rice flour and tapioca star. <laughs> okay, what about me? Oh, God. Give, oh. The pressure. I didn't realize <laughs> I was, like, putting pressure on you. Wow. Okay, turn it back around. Um, okay. I'm really loving the low angst of the mutual crush, but because yours is a mutual crush, I feel like I have to rethink this. I guess like we could have like the two main characters are perpetually crossing paths, but never actually meet. 
Um, they see each other hiding or hiking, not hiding. <laughs> They're just hiding uh, on Mount Tabor, you know, behind the trees. Um, they go hiking often on Mount Tabor, see each other then. They cross paths at a farmer's market where maybe one is a farmer selling their vegetables and the other spins and naturally dyes their own yarn because, you know, me and knitting. And maybe, maybe they use items from the farmer's stand. I don't know. Beets are a great natural dye. Uh, then they meet. Then they meet again on the Rose City Yarn Crawl because they've happened to map the same route, uh, and they keep running into each other. And you know, finally, they have to muster up the courage. To, I don't know. It sounds cheesy saying that out loud. And now, now our listeners are going to totally understand why I went in the direction of library science and not as as a writer. I. I would read the heck out of that. And it is never too late. We might just have to write this Portland romance series after all. You know, we could be like, we could be like the romance author, Christina Lauren, who is, or are, I'm not sure of the grammar here, actually two authors who write together. One of them is named Christina, the other one is named Lauren, and their pseudonym is Christina Lauren. You know, our names don't exactly lend themselves to the portmanteau pseudonym though, you know, Gluten-Free Love by Shannon Shannon. I totally thought about this before. <laughs> Your names are just like too interchangeable. Like, I mean, we'd be using like if we went, you know, Shannon Dickinson or, you know, Shannon Sedell. Like that's just, that's, I mean, even maybe our middle names, but even those are too similar. <laughs> All Wound Up <laughs> by Beth Elizabeth. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> Romance readers turned librarians, turned podcasters, turned romance authors. All I'm going to say is that Stranger Things have Despite happened. Despite my <laughs> lack of storytelling ability, it it really actually has been a dream of mine to collaborate on on a project like this. So no joke, you know, I know that we're kind of digressing and this is our shangent for the episode, but anyway, something to think about. Um, but Shandy, I, did you have one more title you wanted to share about? share with us i i do and and may i say what an epic change that was i i might venture to say one of our greatest but yes i do have one last book i want to be sure to mention um i got an arc of american christmas you might be able to tell by the title that that is adriana herrera's holiday novella and i'm stoked um it feel it features this adorable younger couple ari and yin who appear in american dreamer and american love story and possibly in some of the other ones um, I just couldn't resist starting it last night. There's definitely a gift of the Magi moment coming up. And I love that. I love that sort of, uh, that, that trope. And I, I don't know, I feel like, I think this might actually inspire me to finish the rest of the Dreamer series. I, I'm finding that that's one thing about reading as many novellas as I do, like a 300 page book yeah. starts to seem really daunting, <laughs> even if it's by an author you love, but Ah, uh, anyway, you know, mm -hmm. romance reader problems. But enough about my reads. Shannon, tell us uh, what's in your queue. Well, going, just a comment on American Christmas. I really want to hear your review about that. Because um, I'm interested in reading that. Uh, what am I reading now? I thought I would take a break from all the ebooks and audiobooks I've been reading and listening to and actually read the physical library books. I have that I've had checked out 
you know, for months now, uh, which are collecting dust on various surfaces around my house. And I keep renewing them. So I figured an effort to reduce my book piles, I will read some of the titles there, uh, which, uh, so I just read The Trouble with Hating You by um, Sinjni Patel. I enjoyed this enemies to lover romance. Uh, Leela is a fiercely independent bioengineer and um, Jaish, um, a lawyer, both are first generation Indian American and both have had some significant traumas in their past, which influence how they relate to other people, uh, specifically their families. Very interesting commentary on cultures, what it means to be Indian, what it means to be American, what it means to be a good person. A lot of witty banter, which is fun. A lot of designer name dropping, which felt a bit superfluous. I don't know, I'm not totally into that, but um, you know, that didn't take away from the overall story and um, situations. And I, and, and I really liked this book. Designer name dropping is a huge pet peeve of mine. <laughs> I don't know why, but it just drives me nuts. Like I think of Crash Landing on You where Sari is always talking about how wealthy she is or like crazy rich Asians where designer labels carry significance to one's status. But those are details that I don't need to hear about or, you know, I don't necessarily care about them. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't want to own a pair of Christian Louboutin stilettos. You know, not that I would know how to walk in them or, you know, have any place to wear them to. But, you know, they're, they're classic. They're sexy. You know, that said, no one else really needs to hear me discuss these pipe dreams. You know, I mean, little detail. <laughs> You could wear them for podcast recording. I mean, I think they would look great with your Reluctant Royals t-shirt and because this is quarantine, jammy pants. <laughs> but I digress uh, once again. Um, um, what else have you been one on? that I just finished this past weekend um, is by Kara Bastone. It's called Just a Heartbeat Away. This title was recommended by a friend who is BFFs with the author. I really liked this story. Uh, I it's a mutual crush story about a widower with a young son who's developed a crush on a school counselor, uh, Violetta, who is also 15 years younger than him. Uh, they, collect, they connect in so many different ways, um, particularly kind of around uh, issues of grief. They're super attracted to each other, but he's really hesitant because of the age difference. and she has a boyfriend who she kind of keeps around for the sake of being in a relationship. So it sounds really angsty, but I was really, really surprised. It was really thoughtful and really insightful. And it had some beautiful conversations about grief, loss, and what it means to move forward, you know, and embracing these dark parts of ourselves. You were texting me about this yesterday and it sounds really good. You know, I, as you know, yeah. I love a single dad romance and it's really cool that you know someone who knows the author, but she's, no, is she the author lives in Brooklyn. I believe the person who recommended it grew up in Michigan and I believe they grew up together, but yeah, so not local at all. I don't know what I was expecting with this title. 
but I was really taken by the depth of this book. I really liked it. And I'd love to hear what you think. And, and yes, I do know that you, you like the single dad romance and it's very sweet. And um, okay, what else? Still have a large pile to, of, to go through. Um, so what do I wanna read next? I think I'd, I'll probably read A Sweet Mess by JC Lee and Destination Wedding by uh, Diksha Basu. Um, that, and I'm still in my deep dive with, you know, uh, books uh, about celiac disease, you know, which is like super exciting. I, I picked up your holds for you the other day. And one of the, uh, uh, <laughs> one of them had a really clever and funny title that I really wish we could say on a family podcast, but we can't. It was an irreverent, let's say it was an irreverent nod to owning the gluten-free lifestyle. So I don't know, with books like that in your back pocket. Yes, I, like I know which, which title you're talking about. And, and Jay made a comment about it uh, this morning, actually. It, it's quite, it's quite cheeky. And, and, you know, but going back, like, I cannot thank you enough for, for doing that for me, for picking up my holds. You take such good care of me and I am forever grateful. So thank you so much, Andy. You are so welcome. And you take care of people all the time. It's what you do. So it was the very least that I could possibly do. And I know that you would do the same for me. I would not inflict that upon you because mine would be a stack of, you know, 30 some odd picture books. I'm actually known at the library for taking up an entire whole shelf. <laughs> so, you know, mine would be like 30 picture books and 15 my weird school chapter books. So I, anyway, I, I am, um, you know, I, I don't want to injure you, so I'm not going <laughs> to. When the time comes that I can return to the library, I will totally do that for you. Um, yeah, that, that will not be an issue. Well, okay. So uh, we're winding up, but we can't let this episode end without finding a punny romance title. And I thought we might have to skip it this week because I didn't, I, I was feeling uninspired and couldn't come up with one. But I noticed the last moment that NetGalley has, get ready, hit me with your best Scott <laughs> by Suzanne Enoch. <laughs> this one, of course, goes out to Anya and all of our kilt-loving romance reader friends. Um, Enoch, Suzanne Enoch is quite the prolific author of historical romances, many of them Scottishly oriented. And I, I have to say, looking at her backlist, Scots really lend themselves to punny romance titles. There's another one in this series called yes. It's Getting Scott in Here. <laughs> I am also partial to, from the Scal Scandalous Highlanders series, um, one called Mad, oh Bad, and Dangerous and Flat. <laughs> I'm kind of, you kind of had me at It's Getting Scott in Here. Um, that's, that's too funny. <laughs> oh, it's just too epically ridiculous all right well on that note listeners we would so love to hear from you did we miss your favorite political romance is there an election day one lurking out there that i don't know about are you quietly reading the decade series along with us do you harbor secret or not so secret dreams of writing your own romance series <laughs> find us on the old internet and let us know Email us, comment on an LOPL social media post, find our bookstagrams at the Knitterly Bookworm or Shandy B. Reads. And as always, please note that the views expressed and espoused on our bookstagram do not necessarily reflect those of the library or even of this podcast. Until next time, stay safe 
And please use your vote, your voice and vote. Thank you so much for listening. Greetings from San Francisco. The author of Trouble with Hating You is Sajani Patel, and the heroine's name is Leah. We we couldn't do this podcast without the help of a few awesome folks. Thank you to Allison Arnold and Anya Woodhouse for being our rocks and our champions. Rick Lyons for giving us this crazy idea in the first place and making us believe we could do it. Carissa Barrett for being a national treasure. Chris Myers for good trouble. Emma Ellison, Amy Grimes, and Todd Macklin for answering all of our emails and making us look good on social media. Actually, social media. Okay, we'll edit that out. Keep going. Everyone at LPL has provided so much encouragement and support. Evie is our biggest cheerleader. We hope all podcasters have a super fan like her. Special thanks for letting us record at her house this week. Claire D does our credits and corrections. Thanks to Justin and Joe, our very own romance heroes. Once we figure out that tricky pseudonym issue, we'll write you into our Portland romance series. And thanks most of all to our book club members and podcast listeners who keep us inspired and always searching for the next happily ever after. See you next time. Have a good time. Bye.